Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another week of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined, as always, by an amazing panel. But this week, we are a little bit short because Instagram is down, and that's actually where I usually send the link out to our participants, and only a couple of the guys are on an email thing. So Spartan Grown is with us, so I'm going to pass it over first to Spartan Grown. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, Jack. Thank you. I am Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram. Maybe, <laughs> usually, <laughs> not right now at this moment, but uh, at Spartan Grown, no spaces in the word like you see on the screen here. Unfortunately, I should fix that. And um, if, if you can't do that, go with a tried and true like Jack did before the show and send me an email at SpartanGrown at gmail.com where I can answer all your cannabis growing questions, hopefully. Well, we are happy to have you back. And uh, it is funny enough that we kind of mentioned that many weeks. And uh, it has come true, you know, to have a sure reach of you to make sure to have that email. And it worked out this week. I have Matthew Gates as well, who I sent to uh, an email to. And Dr. MJ is just jumping in, but I'll pass it next to Matthew Gates. Yeah, hey everyone. So it's Matthew Gates. For those who don't know, IPM specialist that stands for Integrated Pest Management. I uh, just want to have a short shout out. If you're interested, I have a workshop coming up in Long Island. Actually, Beth Page. Um, New York that's coming up in two weeks with Jordan River and also on the 20th and that's June 3rd on July 29th I have a workshop here in San Diego so um, if you want to check that out you go to pestapalooza.com and yeah I hope to see you guys there that's good the stuff I see Tao yes I can't get link right now he's in the chat I'll resend it I pinned it to the YouTube Tao so if you want it should be there but I just sent it from the cheap home grow. But with that said, I'm going to pass it next to Dr. MJ, who got it from the YouTube. Welcome. I did. I, I figured you guys were probably just trying to ditch me. And like you decided to create your own little group to share the link. And that's why I didn't get it. I'm like, I'm going to go check out the YouTube channel. I bet they're just starting the show. And like, sure enough, like shows starting. I'm like, ha I caught them. But no, it turns out that it was just an Instagram glitch. Anyways. I am Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. I'm glad that I'm not being sort of ditched and frozen out of the Cheap Home Grow Show because uh, it is one of the highlights of my Sunday every week. So I'm happy to be here, guys. I, I went a, a while ago. All I ever saw about the article we're supposed to read today was like an Instagram post. And I didn't, I wanted to follow up with that, but had the Instagram issue. But anyways, I still have things I think to say about this topic. So it should be interesting today. I think it'll be a fun one for sure. And I'm happy to say that we also got the American one. We've got at least half the panel with us, which is an accomplishment considering Instagram. It would have been impressive if, if we did just shut Instagram down just to deny Doc the link. That'd be quite the feat there. <laughs> but uh, we had, surely have not gone to that effort. And we're happy to share the link with you and allow you to jump into the Zoom. But uh, next up, we certainly got, uh, last and certainly not least, the American one. Hello, Jack panel and everyone in chat. Yeah, I'm glad I could make it in. Uh, I thought my Instagram got taken down because uh, I couldn't get yeah, to where I was going, but uh, I'm glad it wasn't just me, or I'm kind of not glad it wasn't just me because now everybody doesn't have it, but whatever. Short story is I'm the American one on the YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore 18 on the IG. Most of you know where to find me and I'm always in chats and stuff. You can hit me up over at IG and uh, yeah, good to be here. It's good to have you with us. I'm not worried about Instagram slash Facebook. They've got plenty of money and probably lots of frantic, well-paid coders trying to fix it right now. So 
I'm sure they'll get things back up and running before this podcast is even dropped. But we're live on YouTube now for anybody who's with us. And you know that Instagram <laughs> is struggling to do what it's supposed to do. So I'm sure they're taking down all of the unfair blocking and the suppressing of the cannabis content. I'm sure that's what they're working on. So I'm just going to wait them out. Wishful thinking. Indeed. That was so. a cyber attack. Thought, though. I'm like, oh, shit. They just blocked me out of Instagram. My Instagram's like frozen. They've, they've caught on to me and frozen me out. That was my first thought. And then I thought maybe you guys were, you know. I was it thinking, was not how I normally get it. So, or normally when I have problems kind of like that, it was just sort of weirdly consistent in one way. And I'm like, I'm going to check if Instagram's down. And, and and there it was. Apparently many people, for many people, is quite down. So whether it's, I don't know, who knows what's going on, but it's, it seems to be server side. It is for sure on their end because uh, I, I pulled up Instagram.com on my computer, which normally would bring up their website where I'd normally yes. send the link. And it was just a white screen. And I was like, there's something going yeah. on here. And then I yeah. went to my phone, which actually allows me to go like scroll through my DMs because the app has a lot of stuff saved. And I sent the link out and I was like, why is only Matthew and Spartan joining? And I'm looking at the thing. It says sending and it's not actually sending. <laughs> it's just like in limbo right now. So I'm sorry to Noah the Groa if you're out there. Uh, you can hopefully find the YouTube link and then jump in through that link. But we uh, don't have Noah with us, but oh, it just said failed to deliver. Try again. So uh, Instagram uh -oh. is at least starting to, uh, they're listening. <laughs> yeah. Um, but with that said, we do have an interesting article this week. I think Matthew may have gone through it. And if not, maybe pulled up and uh, it talks about lighting and different lighting schedules. It's examining a in on and 10 off period and i believe it's for the first 28 days before switching to 12 and 12 to finish off if i read and interpreted correctly but um i might be misinterpreting that data so i guess i'll maybe pass it to matthew or doc or anybody else who uh, looked a little bit more closely at that research and see what you guys maybe have to say about it or if we have any overview or if i should try and start frantically trying to pull it up because uh, i don't have it right in front of me oh yeah i can share screen um I uh, I didn't look at the entirety of it. I did see a Cliff Notes reference, but unfortunately that reference was on Instagram and I cannot access it. So I don't want to, you know. <laughs> it was like 10 screenshots essentially of the article, right? And it kind of highlighted, literally highlighted within the text, like here are things that they found interesting. And um, one of those being, I believe that they got some of their best cannabinoid or tripping expression by giving a longer day period at the earlier point of flower and then gradually well not gradually like going from like 14 on 10 off to that 12 on 12 off after the first four weeks and uh i found that to be interesting so i i don't know if this is addressed in more detail elsewhere but yeah that that is what i understood too jack was that you were going to do the first period of the flowering time at 14 10 and then go to 12 12. Um, no, I'm just curious that 14 hours or that 10 hours of darkness is enough to initiate flowering for all strains. Um, no, it's very interesting. I'm sorry, Doc. I'm yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it's very interesting because we just had uh, anecdotal evidence of this. So uh, I don't know how many of you guys know the Major General uh, 420, but he in Canada, indoors, he just explained to us how he does 14 and 10, 14 on, 10 off. So he can see how quickly a plant might trigger into flower. And he uses that as a tool to get plants that I'll trigger in the 14 and 10, which will most likely get done by the end of the season for him in Canada. 
Right. So that's actually part of his um, procedure is to try and find a, a strain that will finish in time. And yeah, it is interesting that I, I've thought about it too. So, so you agree there, right? That it, some strains would be fine yep. to initiate flowering at 14 exactly. hours. And some Almost, won't, like some yeah. won't initiate flowering unless you give them more darkness than that. And they had different type plants in the study. They, they did a canatonic, which is a CBD heavy plant. And then they did um, Hindu Kush. And then they did Northern Lights. Number I don't know if it was number five, but I think they just called it Northern Lights. And um, they had different results as well. Like the four, they did a, one of the, the light cycles they did was just 14 hours on, 1410, all the way through the whole time. And that was great for the canatonic, but it was terrible for the THC heavy plants. So yeah. depending on the type of plant too, there's different results, which was interesting, I thought. Yeah. But what I pulled out of this was, was, was I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing, 1212. Yeah. Well, you know <laughs> That's what I, I pulled out of that. it. There's you know, some other takeaways, I think. One of them is that being gradual with the plant's transition into flowering is probably beneficial to the plant. I mean, I, I think this sort of supports that idea as opposed to being violent with the transition into flowering, right? Um, it so, gives them more hours to grow buds. You know, if they start flowering 14 and 10, they're growing buds, like they're growing flowers. So they're going to be bigger flowers most likely too. I agree with that. If well, big strains that work well with it, but you know, in most production, you're going to want to optimize to the the pickiest plant, and uh, you know, I don't know. I I kind of stick with Spartan there. I'm like, are the is the juice worth the squeeze in this case? You're getting like two hours more light for a few weeks during the flowering period. And it might screw up your production. All the plants don't start flowering. So is that, you know, minor benefit worth the risk? Yeah, monocropping might work. But I didn't get to read this paper. But It would depend how intense the benefit is. Yeah, think about this. On the given strain. Yeah. You do two weeks, 14 and 10, and then gradually bring it down. In the last two weeks, do under, uh, you know, under 12 hours of light. You could end up using the same electricity and maybe affect the... uh, and timing and maybe still do better i don't know though yeah but is your labor of doing all those adjustments not counted either some people well, have a program. like your science leds far, have yeah. those yeah, you could digital program. you could program it so you don't only have to one. do that once and yeah then just well i'd have to buy more equipment in that case but yeah <laughs> yeah no <laughs> I, I agree with you spartan it is worth yeah. considering as a cultivator i'm somebody who likes the simplest lowest input method like i'd like to spend my time uh investigating the garden crop scouting making sure the plant health is up and less so you know adjusting timers and doing other things like that as much as i can so um that is an important consideration full duplex afn um also known as uh no automatics at this point he mentioned in our cheap home grow chat this has always interested me i also believe 1212 is a stressor on the plant just from my observations of outdoor plants, how they trigger at different times, some early and some late. I also believe they can handle subtle light during flower and not herm. I sadly have street lights in front and back of my greenhouse. I've never seen nanners on any females I've grown outdoor. Um, so that's just a note from him there. He predominantly is in the autoflower, but he does grow photoperiod plants as well that he crosses into and works with autoflower plants. So I think that was an interesting note and kind of uh goes to doc and even major general's points there with if you can gradually do it 
for some plants, it's obviously going to at least tell and show you more about when they start to trigger. Some of them, it might reduce the amount of stress. I'm not sure if the flipping to 1212 is enough stress. I know enough people that have run 1212 for a long enough time and not had issues with herms with their genetics that it doesn't show me that like 1212 is a huge enough stressor that I would immediately like avoid it and let me play devil's advocate on that though a little bit because like plants grown indoor that we grow that and somebody brought this up in our chat um are more susceptible to light leaks are more susceptible to other issues with light later on that might lead them to harm we're used to growing these plants indoors that are sort of hypersensitive to things like that some of that may be a result of this sort of stress of you know abruptly forcing the change in their sort of sexual maturation schedule um and, and i do think that gradually easing plants into these things may make their sort of status as a flowering plant or as a female flowering plant more secure in a certain sense that's um, a good point yeah so it goes through like a, a more gradual maturity as opposed to being like um uh, essentially like a child and now it's an adult uh, it goes through like the teen, essentially, or, or yeah, well, transitionary hormone period. This is period. one of those riddles, I think, about indoor versus outdoor growing. I mean, I'm I'm thoroughly convinced that outdoor plants are more tolerant of, of stray light and light pollution during the dark period than indoor plants are. Um, you can't, I mean, you could still screw up your outdoor plants with light pollution, but just, you know, incidental light outdoors, being near a street light or porch light periodically comes on or like the moon, all these other things that, you know, if you are messing around with your plants like that with light in your tent, you'd harm so many plants. Um, so it, it's a weird sort of riddle because we don't have a sort of scientific mechanism why that would be the case. But I, I think this is one really interesting thesis. Hey, Doc, you think yeah. it might be since the sun is so intense that all other incidental light is not registered like you think intensity has anything to do with it I, I, you know I'm kind of i think they're pretty sensitive relative you know it'd be relative yeah i mean it's definitely relative but our lights are really intense too and we're giving plants just about the the limit of what they can process and use and sometimes we're even exceeding that um so i agree just in terms of the amount of light or the the what you're calling intensity, I prefer to call density of light. Um, I don't think that that explains it alone. So you don't think it's a, that's, that was my question too. Um, I was wondering like how much of it, like I wonder what the, uh, the ontogeny of this effect is. What is actually causing this? Is it like Tao was suggesting potentially? Is it like, the photon catch moving, you know, going from, you know, lower to high. And like you said, Dr. Coco, typically we're trying to get as much as we can. Right. Yeah. You know, so, so we're at that limit. And so just hitting it with that, is that a physical like problem? Like is it actually shocking it in some way in the, like akin to, but not the same as like a UV, you know, burn or something like this or, and, and, or is it a hormonal and, yeah, or how much does a hormonal thing and yeah. it they become a little bit hormonally sort of imbalanced because of this stress of the abrupt flip to 1212 um you know i've been talking to you guys about this as long as i know you i'd walk my plants into flowering but like two hours at a time so i'm not going and stopping at 14 10 for some extended period of time or whatever 
But I, I definitely try to like w- walk them into that to lower that stress. I'm not th- saying that that method is just two hours at a time is successful with that, but it's always been something that I've been sensitive to. And that comment in our chat really got me. It struck a chord. I was like, yeah, you know, I think there there really could be something to that, that easing the plants into their sort of sexual transition um, makes that transition sort of more stable than it would be hormonally, right? Than it would be if they got kind of like shocked into flipping by sudden adjustment to 12-12 lighting. And then at that point, they're like, you know, a little bit on edge more hormonally and other light issues could screw with them again. Yeah, I, think, I, have, I, I agree. I think I there's feel two, like, oh, you first. two parts that sort of what Doc is saying that the stressors are going to be higher when you flip from like 18, 6 to 12 and 12. <clears throat> but also outdoor, I think that every stressor, uh, be it light, or temperature, humidity, wind, all of those, I would pick an outdoor plant as more resilient than an indoor plant across the board. Um, And I think that's just the nature of it being outdoor, where we can't quite to this day replicate outdoor environment in an indoor setting as much as we might try. Uh, The lighting is a major part of that, but I think that there's so much more, the, you know, barometric pressure changes and wind and bugs and all that other stuff that impacts it is a huge thing. And there's also to consider... When something is truly a full-blown herm, like, um, or at least extremely common or easy to get to stress into a herm, like Doc had ghost train haze, not only he, but like six or seven other people in one of the grow-offs or grow challenges all had herms. I think like only one out of maybe 10 people didn't find a herm. And even with walking it down, that plant is going to herm because it's just right. like, it's so prone to it that any, you know, Maybe if it was outdoor, maybe it wouldn't have, but who knows? Like, I think even outdoor, it probably would have had the propensity to How hurt. Outdoor, they get walked down maybe. like, you know, three minutes and sunset and three minutes on sunrise, like every day yeah. or even less than that. I mean, I'm doing like two hours and like big chunks, right? Like this really sort of gradual easing in, I think could be much less stressful on a plant and, and like, you know, it, I hate to I try so hard to like avoid anthropomorphizing this, but it, it's hard not to, I guess. But yeah, just being sort of more stable in that because you you walked into it slower. Well, it's it's replicating what it evolved to do in, in nature yeah. through thousands of years. It's it probably was a really it's probably a really energy intensive thing, you know, and like the the response, it's like a super stimulus, and like yeah. the response is actually practically toxic level. Like they can't shut it off. It's almost the same as like spraying it with some sort of a plant hormone practice essentially because it's linked so much to the light i'm assuming um yeah. like a lot of photoperiodity um you know it's it's very it's linked there's it's because why would it why would it evolve a system i guess it could have happened this way but it's not surprising to me that it didn't evolve a way to like have that variable accounted for so yeah it's it, it really speaks this is this is where knowing that plant science i think is really helpful because um yeah it makes sense it makes sense with what we know about them and it really does speak to how sensitive these plants can be i wonder if there are some plants that are or at least cannabis plants i mean specifically that are less sensitive to this i mean obviously there are some examples but i wonder um yeah i'm I'd like to see more investigation yeah yeah i definitely there are some strains that can tolerate almost anything you throw at them and there are other strains that that 
can't. Uh, and so that runs runs the gamut on all sorts of things. And that includes issues like light leaks, for example, for sure. Jake, so, can you uh, drop the link again for Noah. He's in, he's in. Oh yeah. I'll drop it right now. Also Noah, for the benefit for the for the benefit of the audio listeners, I thought I would just say the title, and I guess we could read the abstract. I don't know if we want to go more into it. I think the discussion is being is totally. I don't want to kill the vibe, but what? How how do we want to do this? Yeah, that that's good. Let's read the go ahead and read the article or read the title at least. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So so for those who want to follow along, the title is uh, "Moving Away from 1212: The Effect of Different Photo Periods of on Biomass Yield," and cannabinoids in medicinal cannabis and the abstract um i guess i'll go through it Uh, the standard practice to initiate flowering in medical or medicinal cannabis involves reducing the photo period from a long day period to an equal duration cycle of 12 hours light 12 hours dark this method reflects the short day flowering dependence of many cannabis varieties but may not be optimal for all. See, they even say in the abstract, right? We sought to identify the effect of nine different flowering photoperiod treatments on the biomass yield and cannabinoid concentration for three medicinal cannabis varieties. The first, canatonic, was a high cannabidiol accumulating line, or CBD, whereas the other two, Northern Lights and Hindu Kush, were high delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, THC accumulators. The nine treatments tested following eight days under 18 hours light, six hours dark, following cloning and propagation included a standard 12 light, 12 dark period, a shortened period of 10 light, 14 dark, and a lengthened period of 14 light, 10 dark. The other six treatments started in one of the aforementioned and then 28 days later, midway through flowering were switched to one of the other treatments, thus causing either an increase of two or four hours or a decrease of two or four hours. Measured parameters included the timing of reproductive development, the the dry weight flower yield, and the percent dry weight of the main target cannabinoids, CBD and THC, from which the total, I guess that's gram, cannabinoid per plant was calculated, yeah. Flower biomass yields were highest for all lines with when treatment started with 14 light, 10 dark. However, in the two THC lines, a static 14 light, 10 dark photo period caused a significant decline in THC concentration. Conversely, in canatonic, all treatments starting with 14 light, 10 dark led to a significant increase in the CBD concentration, which led to a 50 to 100% increase in total CBD yield. The results show that the assumption that a 12 light, 12 dark photo period is optimal for all lines is incorrect, as in some, yield, in some lines, yields can be greatly increased by lengthened light period during flowering. And that's it. So just to try to paraphrase that really quickly, uh, all the plants grew more when we gave them more light, which I think is sort of an obvious answer but it's good that those obvious answers sometimes bear out um and can you just scroll up again matthew so we're looking at the at the abstract still i'm i'm trying to summarize this yeah um so the the high thc varieties lowered their cannabinoids under those 14 hour treatments but the the high cbd which is interesting i hadn't really thought about that before so are we saying that 
if you're growing CBD plants, you just might want to think hours. about this. Yeah, just want more light. Hours. In their conclusion, they even suggested to try more light. You know, just find out where that flip point is and just give as much light as they'll yeah, take. Yeah, like 16 or eight, like maybe just 18 all the way through. Like what, what about early flowering or auto flowering hemp varieties that could benefit from that? I think now, ultimately what they're going to find out if they, you know, continue to collect data and do more varietals, they'll find that there's a DLI for every different variety, just like every, every variety has slightly different nutritional values and create slightly different terpene profiles and have different cannabinoid profiles. I think that they'll also see a difference in your daily lighting integral. And I think that will have a lot to play in with the area in which the, those genetics originated, you know, if you're, if somebody's breeding a bunch of outdoor stuff in NorCal, you know, you could probably expect them to be a, you know, have a, a DLI that's kind of matches um, those parameters. I think that's what we would end up seeing. I got a quick question. I'll just see something that, that shows that, Brandon, because I, I just want to offer the counterpoint. I do not think the DLI is a significant measurement of how much light plants can receive like any plants. It's PPFD is important and time that you can deliver that PPFD is important, but there is no separate 24 hour limit that sort of sets a DLI limit for how much light plants can process. I think that's really not the, not the way to think about the amount of light plants can use. I agree with that. And doc, I want you to uh, jump in and just quickly uh, maybe address Chad Westport earlier asked, would yeah. hours matter when you can control intensity with a dimmer in both cases, you are aiming for the same again, here we go. DLI, correct? Question mark. And no. so what we're trying to do is give plants, I guess the way to think about DLIs, it's a measurement of how much light you've given the plant over a 24 hour period of time. So if you increase the PPFD, or if you increase the amount of time that the lights are on, you're going to increase the DLI. And, but there is no DLI limit. There's a PPFD limit that's determined by photosynthesis within the plant. And there's a, a length limit during the flowering period, which is determined by exactly what we're talking about. The, the, the photo period time or the scoto period time required to maintain the plant and flowering healthily um, and relative to other things like production of cannabinoids and stuff like that, right? But there is no sort of target or limit for like when the plant receives that. So if you increase the length of the amount of time and you decrease the dimmer, right, you're going to end up with the same sort of amount of light potentially over a 24 hour period. But if you increased the, the dimmer and kept the lights on that same time, if you keep everything else good, you keep the water good, the amount of fertilization good, the carbon dioxide good, all the rest of those things stay good, the plant will just grow more because you've increased the DLI, which means the plant can do more photosynthesis. So there's a second by second limit to how much light plants can use. And that's why PPFD is micromoles per square meter per second. And there really is a limit there. If you give plants too much light in any second, they'll start to not be able to process that light using photosynthesis. And it does cellular damage to the plants when they can't use it to process that energy. Um, yeah, it's literally quenching those photons. 
it, like, yeah, it causes it's, photo it's protection a, yeah. response too. It causes yeah. them to reallocate resources that are otherwise used for growth and production of cannabinoids into doing things like folding up their leaves or tacoing down or doing whatever they have to, to prevent getting hit by so many photons in the same spot because they can't walk yeah. away from it or go to get some shade. They kind of create their own as much as they can. Yeah. Well, I have a quick question. So not, cause I don't have access to this paper. Did, did the high THC plants that ended up with less THC end up with more CBD at the end of the 14 and 10, or did they just have, less of everything i don't think they had cbd yeah and they're probably low cbd varieties very low but the uh important thing to note is that when that's not looking at this though. paper they did and, and matthew you're described right. it. it's not the answer you're right <laughs> Come on. but matthew I'm, was kind of describing take let's take an adventure matthew was describing though that they just to re-address that in the abstract one of the things that they did was they went from 14 on, 10 off, to 12, 12, and also to 10 on, 14 off. And then they did that the opposite direction. So the 10, 14 went to 12, 12, and the 10, 14 also went to 14, 10. And they tried to see which one of those conditions starting halfway doing it through it and doing it all the way through. So they kind of got a good mix of different um, experimental control settings in, in this. Not to say that it was perfectly done, but it's at least interesting that they gave those different uh, options to look at and see how they worked out. Let me address a point that Chad West Point brings up about sort of diminishing returns during the, the photo period that plants are, are on for. It doesn't seem to be really an evidence of that. Like if you're imagining the plant getting like tired, like if you're running a marathon at the end of that marathon, you're probably running a little bit slower than you were at the beginning. That's not really what's happening during photosynthesis with plants. As long as you're meeting all of their needs for photosynthesis, they'll continue to photosynthesize at like exactly the same rate. So if you're thinking about like decreasing marginal returns to increasing marginal like length of time that the, the light is being run, that doesn't actually appear to be the case. So the thing that limits DLI for cannabis growers is the, the two things, right? The PPFD limit that we can set and then how many hours can we reach that PPFD limit? And this is really why a well-set-up autoflower run can out-yield a well-set-up um, photo period run, because we can deliver more light during the photo period to the autoflowers than we can to the, the photo period plants. Um, and perfect, that, yeah. I was, sorry, I was, that's a perfect segue to a question I had for you, because Georgia Road guy got my mind going. He said, he made the comment, he said, it sounds like the reasons autos are weak is due to the light cycle. Referring to this, this research saying that having that longer light cycle reduces your THC. I wonder, what if they had the autoflower CBD variety? Would that be the ticket? Would that be the tool for autoflower? Would that be? No, potentially. I like that idea about CBD. And I've also, also always also said that about running autos on long light cycles that I would introduce a dark period at the end and I would harvest after a 12 hour dark period. So that last week, usually I'm running at least at 12, 12, just like I would with photos, but it's during the rest of that. So I do sort of think there's something to the, the cannabinoids and long light periods that we so, need to be cautious of. Doc, in uh, regards to uh, Chad's question, I'll see if it'll allow me to share my screen as well. But um, just looking back at the Chandra et al. study uh, about photo, like the amount of PPFD, I think what they're kind of referring to or thinking of, at least what I, what I think of when I think of diminishing returns is this particular study. When we look at photon flux density in UML, 
you start at zero, go to 500, 1,000, 1,500, and then 2,000. Right. You see everything continues to kind of go up until that 1,500. And then at 1,500, we start to see that diminishing return. Yeah. We can keep giving it more light, but we're not going to get more yield or cannabinoids. One particular strain did continue to keep going up, but all of the other ones we start to see drops down. But, but that's right. And, and I agree with that in terms of the diminishing returns to PPFD. There's absolutely diminishing marginal returns to increased PPFD, but there doesn't seem to be the same diminishing marginal returns to increased day length. Um, now with caveats, like I don't veg my plants under 24 hours of darkness. So I do eventually think there's a loss there, but the loss is established more because the plant isn't able to establish a rhythm at all when it's under 24 hours of lighting, like the, the lights coming on and off or the, the main cue for the plants sort of 24 hour, uh, rhythm that it establishes circadian rhythm we would say but you know it's a little bit different with plants um that is something that that helps the plants again with what we started talking about ease the transition into the the flowering period especially with um photo periods but with my autos i have them under 20 hours on four hours off um, until they're only, you know, a few weeks away from harvest and I'll start increasing the darkness. Spartan, that is an interesting question that you asked though earlier about the, uh, auto flowers being typically less potent. I've only seen a couple that got in that 20 to 25% THC plus range. And I would wonder if instead of running them at 20 on four off 24 on zero off or 18, six or whatever they are, if people started running them at like 14, 10 or 12 oh. and 12, yeah, and the yield, yield much less. Probably. Yeah. You, you hurt your yield. You definitely hurt the yield. And I'd, I'd just be interested to see like a side by side. I and mean, granted, it's going to be like, I would be interested to even sisters. a week, like harvest, like maybe, maybe have one auto flower, but harvest one branch two weeks, but you know, before the other ones, then another week goes by, you harvest a branch and then the final week you harvest the plant and then just get all three tested. That would be, I cool. was thinking like your setup where you've got autos that you'll grow in your veg tent. And then instead of, uh, you might get like a, a pack from a pretty consistent breeder or something, something like that, because they're not going to be the same. Obviously, you can't clone unless you want them to be the same age, which maybe even that would be worth trying. But you throw one into your flower room, have one in the 1212, and then you have one in your veg tent in 18.6 or whatever, and then to see how the quote unquote same strain uh, would do in both those scenarios, both yield, flavor, taste, potency, all that kind of stuff and expression just generally be a fun kind of side by side. That would yeah, that would hey, be. Does this does this graph answer your question about CBD and the different? Because uh, we have CBD percent. What we need a um a, a, a something oh, yeah. to explain what these dots mean. But there's right. only oh it's just TH oh, okay. You yeah. only had CBD percent for the cancer. This is like don't have the CBD for the other two strains, and that's what Todd was asking. Right. In the high THC strains, what did the CBD percentage? How did that change? Zero, though, right? It's like, like zero to zero point three. It's so low that it probably yeah. wasn't even considered. And I think that's not quote unquote the target. What they were looking for in this research article was the target right. cannabinoids. And it, it might be CBD if it's a CBD plant, but if you're growing a, a THC plant, that's really not your target unless. You're looking for like a one to one, which is CBD and THC, even in plants that are like one to one, it, it, they're not direct substitutes for one another. It's not like the THC becomes CBD or the CBD becomes THC or either of that. The, the plant produces them both, but or, or can produce them both, but they're not necessarily if it's doing one, it's or if it's not doing one, it's doing the other. That's that's not the right way to think about it, I don't think. Yeah, right, right. it's definitely have, it's definitely a human base. convention to think of them as like I think people tend to think of them as like opposites or something, but they're not. 
or not really yeah they are in effect from for a lot of people like at least the for same myself precursor right. makes them, the same precursor cbg makes turns to or cbga turns to cbg which ultimately can create both cbd or thc so yeah maybe well, an effect for us but not like in how the plant uh produces them i meant but yeah. right well and genetically even like the synthase uh skunk one is notorious for quote-unquote having no cbd synthase so it almost always has 0.0, .0 on uh or a cbd test so it, it has a bunch of thc but i guess that's why skunk man claims that he kept it is it just didn't produce any cbd and he was picking for higher thc back before thc was high enough for certain people's likings yeah. it looks like we've got a few different uh, cultivars what is uh, being represented by the yellow and the blue or purple line here Girl, that, oh, cannabinoids, flower biomass. Oh, interesting. So total can cannabinoid, or is it just the one cannabinoid? Just the one that they're re oh, measuring okay. relevant TH strains. So the THC strains, they only measure the THC. And the so CBD you, strains, they only measure the CBD, which I think is that answers our question right there, I think. So they did not track it. They didn't. Yeah, no. It, it yeah. doesn't seem like they checked it. I don't get an answer. You know, the other thing about this. <laughs> you got it. No, no wait, Tal, don't give up. You can get the research people. Their, their names are on there. Contact Give them, them a nice email. Go give them an email. <laughs> there you go. Can I just say Maybe. the thing that they didn't necessarily point out was that 12 hours beats the cannabinoid production in all of them over 10 hours, like in all of the varieties. So doing a 10, 14 light schedule makes no sense, according to this study, for any reason. A 1014, yeah. 1014. Well, and, and there's that guy, Joe P, who's, who's telling people yeah. to go eight, eight on and uh, 16 off or whatever. And he's saying that he'll double your yield. It so won't. it will not. I agree. But he has been you know, like religiously going around to lots of different shows in the community and pointing that out. Well, that's the opposite of this party. Eight, eight hours of, of light for the flower. And I didn't have an increase in yield, but I also didn't have. Decrease. But did you do a side by side with it on twelve twelve to prove that you didn't have a decrease from the same light, same plant, same cut? No, I didn't. But I know this plant, and it's not like oh, I you know it would have been one of those right. things where like oh shit, like I would have seen not like, doing that again, like structure <laughs> right. or anything. It was, did you it, weigh it, out like because sometimes people think that they did better or worse? Like one somebody was complaining to me about a velvet punch F3 Fino, and they said, Man, it, it really yielded poorly. And I go, one of the Finos has really dense buds and it literally weighed twice as much in the jar. Like I fit two ounces in one jar versus one ounce in the other jar of the you know same strain, but the more dense Fino was well, a lot more dense. So if you didn't weigh it, you think you got less. Without data, without actually collecting any data, I can say that I didn't see any negative impact on. Oh, no. Here's the real question. Are you going to go and convert every one of your commercial farms to doing it right now overnight? Would you say it's so conclusive that you're going to do it at every single one of your commercial grows tomorrow? No. No, so that's I'm the real answer. That I did that and I didn't see anything. Like, you know, I've tried it and I haven't seen anything. Yeah. Yeah, the plants will be healthy there, but just since you're you're giving them less energy to grow with, I mean, the laws of physics just say that they're probably going to grow less. Um, now, Light isn't the only limiting factor. So if there's some hmm. other limiting factor that's limiting your plants beyond what the light is able to do, then, you know, you it may not matter if you're giving them a little bit more, or a little bit less light because the yield is being sort of restrained by something else. But in, in most 
grows, light is a big limiting factor for how big the plants can get, how big your yield's going to get. So giving less is should result in a lower yield. I'll say, like I mentioned in the past, when I did my low light stress test for Velvet Punch F3, I went with the lowest wattage I've ever grown with, but it gave me the best uh, gram per watt equivalent, but it was one of the lowest yields I ever got. So it looked good on paper efficiency wise, like, oh yeah, I only used this many watts and I got you know more than double that in grams. But then when I compared it to when I ran my light full blast, it's like, you know, an ounce or two smaller than my worst harvest before that running 1212 or whatever regular lighting. So although it, it worked, the bud was smokable and um, it didn't cost me a whole bunch to produce. I didn't produce as much as I would have with my traditional giving it. I'm with doc on this. I really do think it comes down to like, this is the law of physics thing. Like photosynthesis is one of the main drivers of plant growth and light is the way to get there. And if you can do things like, maybe 13 on 11 off with uh, certain red lights at the end, or, or even in this case, just finding varieties that will accept that, then maybe you can increase maybe your biomass yield or cannabinoid yield or things like that. But I think it's worth tinkering with, but I certainly don't think uh, limiting and, and drawing back past maybe a little under 12, 12, like 11, 13 I've had success with, but I don't think that's a huge change, like a eight on uh, or, or 10 on for the whole entire time. Like yeah. we saw doc pointed out the 10 on circumstance in this was never the best case in, in at least this, article and not to say that this article is the end-all be-all of science i hope that more science comes out and tries their own 1014 and see did it work for them or did they get the same results as these people got which was not the most impressive i'd like to see this test done with some plants being eased into flowering and others being abruptly shifted to flowering and you know really fun experiments would be to take those two groups of plants one where you ease them into flowering and the other one where you abruptly shifted them and then do like light leak tests and other things like that and see if both groups of plants are as susceptible to, to you know, hermaphroditism. Hey, hey, Doc. Yeah. You're being a little biased because some, some natural cannabis plants don't see much more than 12 hours of light their whole entire life. I know. So... That's not really shocking them. I mean, I don't know how you could shock those into flower, right? It's shocking them because you're suddenly expanding the length of the lights off period, which is just going to be stressful and shocking to plants. Because well, those plants in particular would be shocked with the 14 hours of light because they're not used to that ever. Like a 12, That's 12, 12 part, but you're right? not. You they don't go into flower right away from the equator. Like you grew it from <laughs> seed or something, right? So yeah. a, a shock is something that happens to a plant that's gotten used to one set of environmental or sort of cyclical conditions that gets abruptly shifted. And darkness in particular, plants have to survive the darkness. Like plants are basically eating when the lights are on and they're starving when the lights go off and they have to star store energy to survive that dark period. Um, yeah. And when you suddenly increase the length of the dark period, the plants aren't ready for it. And they don't have enough energy stored for it. And that creates the, the shock, basically. So whatever they've been used to, if they're used to an 18.6, where, you know, they need to store enough energy to survive six hours. If you suddenly give them 12 hours of darkness, that's shocking just from that matter. The other thing is they were very comfortably sort of in their vegetative hormones, thinking that this is long day laying. So I'm here vegetating, being a happy plant. And then suddenly it's, they go through this sort of hormonal readjustment because the light cycle shifts on them. 
Um, that's another way that it's sort of stressful to be pushed into that transition suddenly to not see it coming. You know, you're exactly right, Doc, because I have an article. It's called Plants Do Maths because they actually store the amount of energy they need for the dog beard before yep. the lights go out. They 100%. Yeah. Their sugars and everything. That's interesting. And the, yeah, that, that research that. shows that by the end of their expected dark period, they've consumed 95% of the energy they stored. So if they were yep, expecting they exactly. the, the dark period to be six hours, at the end of that six hours, they've got like their gas tanks down to 5%. And they're like, we need light. Where's the light? And if like it's not coming, they have to start reallocating energy that would have gone to other purposes, that would have gone to growth if that happens, just in order to survive, just to stay alive for the next 12 hours. And then the plant's sort of like on the fritz. It's like, okay, should I get ready for another 12 hours of dark period? Or like, is it is that just an anomaly? So it takes a while for the plant to, to figure out what's going on and to get used to now, okay, this is a 12 hours on, 12 hours off schedule that I'm on suddenly. I, you know, that's why, that's why I do other things. Like I'll lower the EC, I'll lower the light a little bit. Like it's just a stressful time to be a plant. We don't want to be pushing them too hard during that time. It's also why I cringe when growers are like, oh, I give them like an extra 24 hours of pure darkness at the flip or whatever. I'm like, oh God, like it's already like stressful enough for your plants. This is very much like what I was talking about many times before with like the immune signaling and, and the triggering and why plants have this like regimented, like sort of graduated reaction to things because like everything's, everything is resource allocation with plants. That's their, that's one of their big things that gives them the ability to not like, you know, sort of over, you know, cause they get a whole bunch of stressors at once. Like we just mentioned here with like lights, but there's the bugs and there's, um, you know, nutrient, maybe, uh, micro or macronutrient um lack of water too much water all kinds of things yeah exactly so so they have a growth there's a growth defense trade-off and whenever they and usually as with ipm i'm talking about the defense you know triggering and things but not getting food is obviously going to affect and wreck all of that capability so yeah absolutely it's the same kind of thing I had a one comment from the chat that I want to get to, and then I'm going to intro Brandon and Noah because they jumped in and we haven't been able to just yet. But before that, I just want to quickly read the train of death says, did you guys ever experiment with light cycles or maybe 20 slash six, 24 slash eight or something that might be beneficial? I think they're kind of alluding to the idea of doing a light cycle that's like longer than the actual 24 hour 24. day period. And personally, I'll say just quickly why I don't like that myself is uh, I love doing like my lights come on at night when it's coolest so that it's easier for me to condition the air and then they go off during the daytime and it just makes humidity temperature and other control factors easier for me when you're doing something like i've seen people do crazy stuff like 15 on 30 off 20 on like they have gone from the the lowest cycle to the longest cycle and everything in between but that shifts where your lights are coming on and off it every day if it's not on that 24 hour day cycle that we all live then one day it's going to be on in the middle of the day and then a week or two later it's going to be on in the middle of the night and where i'm at sdg and e does different you know rates of power at different times so there's also that to consider the peak and off peak so with those things kind of out there i want to go ahead and introduce noah the groa and say welcome you've been here for a while and i, I feel bad as a host because i have not introduced you've been here for quite a bit so cheers Noah. it's uh it's all good i uh 
I didn't, uh, I couldn't get in through Instagram. So I just like, well, I'm gonna go see if the show's on. And then I got him for YouTube, fortunately. But uh, yeah, I'm Noah the Girl with two E's. Uh, you can find me on Instagram there and uh, happy to be here. I couldn't find you on Instagram because Instagram was down. I tried to send the link to everybody and uh, only the guys whose emails I've got got it. So uh, the rest of them found us on the YouTube just like you did. So happy that I'll you provide you my email. I'll provide you my email. Yeah, we're definitely going to do that for everybody in the future. So that way I can send that link out to everybody and, and not have to worry about if Instagram's up or not. But with that said, uh, Brandon, I know you jumped in the chat there for a little bit, but for the people who didn't uh, know who you were or can't see you because uh, you're just the icon right now. And when we're doing share screen, I think it might just show your name or whatever in the background, but go ahead and introduce yourself and let the people know where they can find you. Yep. What's going on? For anybody who doesn't uh, uh, know who I am or isn't familiar with my work, you can find me on Instagram at rust, R-U-S-T dot Brandon, B-R-A-N-D-O-N. I also own Bokashi Earthworks and we sell seeds and fertilizers and soils and amendments and all kinds of stuff. We do agronomy and uh, yeah, good to be here. Good to have you. And I, I've seen Matthew in the uh, background a little bit scrolling through. I saw a cool little image of a few of the different plants at like 10 on, 14 on, and 12 on, different strains and how they looked. And I, I've seen you kind of scrolling through the discussion and things like that. So Matthew, since we've all kind of been chatting back and forth a little bit around the article and maybe sometimes not directly talking about it, I want to give you a little bit of a chance to speak to some of the interesting points and uh, things that you've highlighted and, and shown off that the podcast listeners later will not have seen. Um, in this discussion section, the authors throw major shade by saying the practice of initiating flowering through a reduction of photo period to 12L, 12D is a long-held standard methodology in cannabis production, as demonstrated by its reference in early cannabis growing guides, as well as modern publications since legalization. The fact that this blanket rule is assumed to be optimal for all varieties is quite remarkable, considering the diverse latitudinal origins of cannabis and known variation in photoperiod dependent and independent, aka autoflower trait, flowering time control in cannabis. Uh, that was a really very polite way of saying, um, really guys, uh, basic plant science maybe, like just think a little bit, just think a little bit about what you already know about cannabis and, you know, the spectrum of traits it might have. At least that's how I, mean, I read it. I guess in, in commercial growers' defense, they're growing almost all the same strains that are probably <laughs> high THC varieties that do best yes. 12-12 schedules. I mean, so if their big point is like we discovered that some CBD strains like do better under 1412. Like, I don't think that that's egg on can on most cannabis growers face. Oh, it's absolutely right. not. And we've, we've got a lot of egg on scientists face who are trying to get into the growing thing when there's people that have been doing it for 20 years who could produce better numbers, better looking plants, healthier plants, uh, let's do bigger that. yields. Yeah. Let's do that right now, Matthew, and go back to those pictures and show how they applied their IPM all over their buds. Like what <laughs> maniacs, what are they doing? Yeah, why is oh, it yeah, you can see the media. Like Spartan says, one. don't do this. This is an example of what not to do. This is why he says, get yeah, those little boxes and hang them on the plant and don't. Exactly. don't you see this? Bud. Don't do this. This is something you shouldn't do. Free advice. <laughs> well, they're um, not smoking them. They're actually just testing the buds, I'm sure. Nobody's actually smoking this uh, test crop. Still, still, you can hear about it. You can oh, it's, it's, ter it's terrible bit. practice. Especially like, if they okay, take wait, 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 wait. I have a question. I have a question for the panel. So, okay. Is this, this looks to be like, maybe not just, this looks like brand, not vermiculite. So like the question you have to ask yourself is, uh, is it that they applied biocontrols? And I, I don't think they mentioned anything about this. I feel like if you got pests, it would really screw up your results. 
Oh, yeah. don't tell me. Don't I feel like it would be hard me. to draw your conclusions. Or, well, I mean, this is, or just is, it, is it even less impressive, which is that somehow, some way, this substrate got on the flower somehow, some way, like, I, or something else. I don't know. Like, that's, that's even worse. Neither of those are neither of those are good, right? So those no. are the only two options I can think of. Maybe it's um, just maybe I'm being harsh, but. Yeah, yeah you know, or they, they preventatively, you know, used IPM being a good growers, but they didn't know how to apply it. They just sprinkled it. You know what? Actually, I'll make it egg on copper's face because they have this little air gun thing that like they uh, you basically yeah, have like a little bug. hopper full of uh, yeah, IPM predators, and then you click a little trigger and it spins a little fan and it blows the predators as well as media out all it's around. not for I'm cannabis not sure let's different... just say you can't yeah. be posting <laughs> pictures like that if you're trying to teach people how to grow cannabis flower like you, you just you can't like no that's disqualifying <laughs> i know but it, it's disqualifying in terms of are we going to take yeah. you serious as the you know i, I think Thank a lot you. of the other things that they did here are, are semi-valid i do think that there are some issues with like i've been saying the way that they set up the treatment or the way they set up the experiment in the first place. So they say Someone here could... that in the physical appearance of flowers that um, in the 14 light treatment in canatonic, we'll go back to the pictures to see, there was less or no visible anthocyanin accumulation. And instead of a single inflorescence at the top of the stem, there were multiple inflorescences. I in believe in the, in the yeah, morphological more... features could definitely change under different amounts of light. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'd like to see that investigated here. It'd be interesting. They say here in both Northern Lights and Hindu Kush, the 14 light inflorescence or sugar leaves were longer than in the other treatments and in Hindu Kush also wider. The trichome density was visibly less in Northern Lights and Hindu Kush at the 14 light treatment and pistol senescence appeared delayed. Okay, so. Yeah, because it had a harder time. It doesn't want to finish. It was supposed to be flowering. Yeah. Yeah, when it's at 14 it's like it, it doesn't think it wants to finish it wants to keep on vegging that's why sometimes when people have that uh you know white pistols popping out at like day 70 i'm like hey drop it down from 12 12 to an 11 13 or a 10 14 for the last week or two maybe in those circumstances but that's rare like maybe one out of 100 growers i see it's uh sometimes it's just too hot and there's other stressors causing it but i think more often than not it's it'll finish under 12 12 if given enough, enough time and look it's less trichomous I think right. that is, is fair did, to say. Yep. Uh, did they highlight? Did I highlight that part? Yeah, yeah. Fourteen hours yeah, is yeah. the less trichomous, and when they showed it yeah. side by side, you can. I somebody think it's fair to visually perlite. inspect. Somebody tripped carrying a bag of perlite. That's what that looks like. I was gonna say when you gotta judge the three side by side on all three strains, the best buds are the fucking twelve twelve buds. Come on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but that's why. Yeah. The comment at the end, I was like, "That's not egg on our face." Like. You're, you're saying for the type of cannabis that we grow, we should keep growing it the way that we grow it? Yeah. Okay. Hey, we do pretty good, it seems like. Yeah. But that is good. That's it's yeah. just, Like you said, Doc, it's confirming what we think we should see, uh, right. for at least those varieties, which is a, a good sign. Right. You know, we've and been doing it right for a good amount of time. Of not, not, you know, spraying debris on their cannabis. Yeah, yeah minus the debris. That's the better looking book. <laughs> but yeah. 
Well, it got more debris because it was stickier. You know, I could never, uh, Matthew. I, don't know, guys. I, I look at lots of pictures of grower of like buds from rookie growers that make all sorts of fun to diagnose mistakes. I very rarely see growers with just a whole bunch of like debris all over their plants. Like that's that's pretty bad. I mean, you kind of got to know that that's not what you're supposed to be doing to your cannabis. Flower. I'd say it's careless or ignorance, and I think it's more of just ignorance. If let's say hypothetically, not a single one of these guys smokes cannabis. None of them has ever grown it. They've read about it in textbooks. And so they decide, hey, we're going to run this study. And we got a grant and we have permissions from our university. So we're going to put this thing out there and we're going to do our best. And they read, oh, you apply predator mites in you know week three of flower or whatever. So they just go and, and apply them and they don't say, oh, yeah. I should hang it in a sachet or satchel, whatever it's called. Uh, they just go ahead and start dumping the material all over the tops of the plants and, and hope, oh, the, you know, the bugs are going to crawl their way down or whatever. So it, I think it's an innocent mistake, but it's definitely a good learning lesson. And I, I love these uh, highlighting the science papers because it shows even ones that seem really good and well done in the abstract. Once we dive deep enough into it, we can start finding the little things where it's like, eh, they clearly have some inexperience here that we could benefit them by having, you know, growers that have actually been doing this for a long time to consume the flower as medicine, like many people out there do, uh, there's big drawbacks to having a bunch of crap all over the plants that you're intending to consume. What, what was the institutional affiliation of the authors and where did the research take place? Australia, I believe. Australia. Okay. I see the Australia bit now. Are they, this is the funding. Yeah. Yeah. So presumably so. I, I think it was like a university, that... some university of Australia or something. Right. The Australian know. government's going to fund yeah. research in Australia probably. Right. Exactly. Um, well, sometimes there's other people who might be contributing outside, but yeah, it looks like it's everyone. What is Out of the curiosity, Matthew, did it ever so, mention light levels, like the actual PPFD? I don't remember seeing that anywhere. I didn't see. Yeah, I don't think they ever described the intensity or. Uh, they didn't even say what lights density. they're using or give us any kind of clue how, you know, were they super yeah, intense Were they weak lights? What, what, what were they using? Right. That'd be in the methods. Or, uh, you know, the methods. were they controlling climate differently in the space that was on eight hours of light versus 14 hours of light? There's a lot of other things you're going to have to think through in experimental design on something like this, because uh, a lot of things change based on how long you run the lights and whether you're running the lights. And even temp, like check out this name, all plants were cultivated in an, Australian Government Department of Health and Aged Care Office of Drug Control. Abbreviate ODC. I thought, All those words I, thought ODC. The, I thought the military was bad with acronyms and backronyms and backrograms and all that. But, well, uh, it's just uh, that, yeah, all they're saying is that it was in uh, that government department approved secure facility. Yeah. Yeah. This is not surprising to me because like all of it's, cannabis research, it's overly regulated and they want to make sure it's in a locked up area behind closed doors so that no child or adult that doesn't have special permissions will get access to it because we all know that, you know, a live cannabis plus is so dangerous, right? Well, actually not, not very much, but they, they want to make sure that the stuff's not out there and it's crazy the levels that they go to and, and locking it down. I was uh, I was seeing some of the old videos of like the PSA, the public service announcements or whatever they were, 
for like weed and shit and some of them are so ridiculous i saw one the other day and it was like this guy smokes weed and he like uh uh, and then like he uh you know kills his friend or whatever because he's like crazy not even one marijuana yeah those are the best ones yeah i think it i think that's what it was the more you know it was like it was like it, it had to have been from like the 80s or the early 90s. The acting is so cheesy and like the actors get like really like big beady eyes and like strangle or like shoot or stab their friend after like using marijuana as they call it in those commercials. Uh sad. Sad that that was a thing and they still get passed around I think hey, mostly by stoners to laugh at at this point. Do we want to comment on their uh propagation technique? That's a nice little cloning technique today as I see. New growth stems of approximately 15 centimeters were excised from the mother. All leaves up the sides of the stem were removed, leaving the top leaf bunch. The bottom of the stem was then cut diagonally across a node using a scalpel in order to form a clone approximately 12 centimeters in height. Very detailed. The top leaf bunch was trimmed to the height of the smallest emerging leaf to reduce water loss and prevent the clones from overlapping in the propagation dome. The bottom one centimeter of the stem from which the roots would form, were lightly scraped with a scalpel and then dipped in a hormone gel. Clonix Purple, Yates, Dulux Group, Clayton, Australia. What? They're oh, all different uh, options. The only question about cloning. this would be, are they this detailed about the, the rest of their methodology? <laughs> no. The reason they are is they copied this. This is an SOP that they copied from some brand in California where they saw somebody, you know, cutting the leaf shoots. Like Guelph has done this where they they found that the roots actually, they rated them zero, one, or two. And the strongest roots were actually in like the non-clipped conditions. But a lot of the reason that you do stuff like this is if you want to pack a full clone dome and you don't want to have the leaves on top of each other for management purposes and other purposes, I like that they're descriptive and it sounds actually a lot like what you see in pretty much every single commercial grow, right? Uh, you know, replace it with rock wool, peat, peat pucks, whatever, you know, th- there's a variety of small differences, but that is like, when I was hearing that red, I'm like, I've seen this a thousand times at a thousand different grows where this is the exact operation. They cut it. They scrape a little bit of the bottom. I can't even spell the light correctly, guys. So, oh man. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's twice, twice, two instances within four words, and it's spelled two different ways. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they're they're uh, phonetically <laughs> spelling it viper, wow. but it's vipar because it's like viper par, the photosynthetic activity radiation. Isn't yeah. the par seven hundred? They're all blurple light. Seven hundred. Yes, those I, are old I, lights. Wow, I want to just go back up here and mention that. Uh, just I mentioned this last time. MDPI, MDPI is good. There's a lot of there's a few groups that are kind of criticizing some journals under the MDPI uh, uh, super group because they're not like rigorous. And so they're not considering them, you know, they might be predatory journals and maybe they'll just take your money and then not really do a lot of peer review and then just kind of post it. Yeah. Like Tao's so, weight loss with chocolate eating article. Yeah. So I don't uh, want to, I'm, right. I'm not trying to be disparaging overly or anything, but that's just a contextual point that bears yeah. repeating there's some interesting points in this article but i i would say you know yeah there might not we we may not want to read too deeply into it my question is who benefits from this research like i think the australian government is trying to benefit themselves from a cannabinoid production perspective thinking like oh we're going to gain information and then we can produce it as a commercial product and then we're going to sell thc and cbd by volume yeah. and oils and, and things like that but 
I don't think they're like deliberately trying to trick people into growing poorly. I think they're trying to no. actually present the data that they the researchers think benefit right. from it. The researchers get grants to do this, and then they get yeah. you know, publication credit for doing it, and they get you know tenure approval or other things. Um, so that's probably it. This is government funded research that somebody is trying to get published. I, I think that if it was done better, they might have had a been able to publish it elsewhere because it's interesting potentially but um yeah it's not published in like the frontiers of plant science it's not as bad as like the um nida research i've seen in the institute of drug abuse which is like trying to find like bad things about cannabis i actually found this interesting but i agree it could be better done to gain more notoriety and and publications and probably more prominent journals and less criticism from folks like ourselves do you guys know who Canna Group LTD is? Because that's where they got, you just went by right there. Uh, Canna Group LTD is the one who gave them the They got all the SOPs. patents. And the SOPs, right? They, the, and the, and the, and the, the germplasm. Right? Yeah, the germplasm, yeah. The, the fact that it's proprietary is just obnoxious to me in the first place, but that's okay. It's not okay. But you know what? Hey, shout out. Okay, silver lining. Some of the some of the books that um, I tried to get more of them here, but that they reference, you know, we have Cervantes, you know, Jorge Cervantes, right? Um, right? You know, and some other some other research. It is funny books. to see those referenced as like a scientific no resource. As reference, it's as points. close as we have. I saw the reference to it though. It was basically that was at the point where they were trying to throw people under the bus. That exactly. Said, you know, in 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 these old you know, school growers do marijuana this. texts, they were saying to use twelve twelve lighting, and in the current, these would be they. These yeah, would be they. That, yes, that's why these citing Cervantes. That I think the funny thing is Cervantes exactly got the why, yeah. info. He just paired it from other people who had figured it out. It wasn't like his own originality, but I'm thankful that he put it out there. Yeah, as many of these guys and, and ourselves. I mean, we're all learning from someone, right? Yep, sure. But at least well, he was okay. Uh, in, we're in, all standing <laughs> to some extent on, on ground that he helped pave. So I, I, I'll, yeah, I'll be respectful of the that generation that came before us for sure. Likewise, and uh, I, I started making bubble hash because of that individual in particular. Not the best quality. I've definitely gotten better since then. But I'm glad that he introduced me to the fact that throwing away trim was a bad idea in the you know early days when a lot of people actually did that. Believe it or not, people were Very throwing away their trim. Not worth doing. Uh, even if you just store it, throw it in a freezer bag or whatever. Eventually, somebody can process it, even if it's not you. Uh, so hanging on to that. You can turn that green into gold, as he was saying all those years it's ago. It's funny about that, though. Dreadlocks. So the, the common mistake I see a lot of growers make is when they trim their plants, they don't strip the plants down first. So, like, I'll go over somebody's house, and they're like, hey, can you go with all this trim? And I get there, I'm like, dude, that is not trim. That is, like, all, like, water leaf and stock. You can't do anything with that. You need to take all that off and then just save the sugar leaf. But you'd be surprised how many experienced growers I've seen, like, show up with a garbage sack full of stuff i'm like dude you cannot make anything with this what are you doing it it adds one to five percent to your wash i'll say that the water leaf i've done washes with it and done washes without it you're adding more biomass so your potential you know yield per gram going in but like the total amount out that you get is like one to five percent higher in my experience when i used to do a lot more washing so although you can't see it i will look at a seedling with my 
60 or 80x scope and you'll start seeing trichomes on there as soon as seedling stage they're not as oh, prominent but they're there of course you can do it that way but you're not going to get anything in your hash runs do you though even though you see that i have oh, yeah one? i have Come on. I wouldn't oh, do wow. that though. Yeah, uh, yeah you could probably get something out of it, but it is again the juice worth the squeeze and some of those things. It's such a small batch. It's like my washer wasn't full, so I would just like, oh, if I throw an extra thirty or fifty grams in here, it's not going to clog up my uh, machine, see, and I had enough space sense. for it. So yeah. it's like I'm just getting more overall. I eat a lot of them to be honest. I, I personally advocate a lot more people should try and eat the cannabis raw as much as they can the leaf it's not pleasant tasting you throw it in smoothies you can blend it make it into ice cubes use ice cubes for smoothies and things like that but there's huge medical benefits from i agree other, with this completely. other than just you know ingesting through it, uh, it like smoking better than, uh it tastes better than juice like most juice greens like just raw spinach or kale the infamous kale yeah, wheatgrass kale way better than kale <laughs> you, i've you had some kale that's good too. but it has to be like it has to be really young and even then there are better options but at all stages like i'll eat my veg leaves i'll eat my flower leaves the, okay. the sugar leaves everything i think that they all have different cannabinoid varieties that are all good for you for yeah. different reasons i'm not saying you can't do that but back to doc's point the juice worth the squeeze i mean if you're especially on like a commercial level or you're trying to do something at scale i mean uh, yeah good luck Right. Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't be like collecting them if yeah. I didn't have a, a closet grow. And uh, <laughs> and I make butter usually or an oil, right? And I'm not going to be messing around with a bunch of sort of like fan leaves, the water leaves in, in, in a situation like that. You want to get kind of higher concentration or higher quality trim um, to, to soak up in your butter. 100%. Um, so I, I definitely buck the the fan leaves off earlier and i'll have like they go on the floor right like so there's something on the floor i usually put like a saucer on the floor where i can toss the crap that i don't really don't want into the saucer hopefully it makes it into the saucer yeah. um and like you know the trim and stuff will stay up on the the table that i'm working on but um i do separate that out i'll say this breeder steve who has done literally you know, thousand plus plant greenhouses through Swiss through the eighties, nineties, two thousands. He's got tons and tons of experience. I, I respect him greatly. He uh, came on an equal show and he was ripped off of like well, mid flower fan leaves that he just cooked up on the stovetop with a little bit of oil and used that as his um, edible. And so I think yeah, it's easy to underestimate. Just wilt some of your fan leaves in butter or olive oil and then like scramble eggs or something into that. Um, I've, I've done that and then it can be like just cooking spinach or whatever. Don't overcook it, but yeah, give it a little bit of fat and, uh, sure. It's surprising. Um, it's, I'm not saying like it from, impressive. from a commercial point, I wouldn't make it like a SOP to collect all of those and, and try and turn those into like my greatest product. But if you're just like a home grower, you've got a little stuff laying around, you want to try something different. It is uh, kind of interesting to be able to get such a strong, potent medication out of something that you would never really turn to smoke or turn to, to turn into hash, but it can be made into a oil or something like that or cooked into a meal and uh, make it a little bit more satisfying. So um, I'm happy that others share those types of stories and as uh, much as we can get as the most use out of the plant, I think that's for the best. And I know even people get into making salves out of the roots and stuff. I, I'm guilty of throwing the roots away, but when I break them up, I have arthritis and my hands always feel better. And I've heard that there's benefits in the roots. There's even terpenes that are only found in the roots. So uh, Tao, I think you sent Indra some roots that he extracted and got some like pink sort of stuff out of them or something like that. I, 
maybe misremembering, but yeah, no, a, he got yeah. I didn't I didn't try any of it, but he said he got some sort of substance out of it that was useful for his arthritis. Yeah, and there is a whole company called uh, Hempies, I think, that has uh, just uses the roots for a salve. You know, it's smart. There was a shaping fire episode. Shout out to Shango Lose. He had somebody on talked about root ball medicine, and that's where I first heard about it, and that's where I started to. Uh, stop wearing the gloves when I was breaking down my root balls in the soil because gloves would, you know, prevent the actual effect of going into the skin and giving me that medical benefit. So as much as uh, getting our hands dirty might not be the most preferable at times, it can have medical benefit literally. It's such a big part of like the sort of the waste stream that most cannabis facilities deal with, right? I don't know what you're familiar or how you processed yours part. I might've asked you this at some point, but like most of the commercial facilities I talk to, they run that grow in cocoa, for example, will run once in cocoa in plastic pots and then throw the root ball, cocoa and plastic pot in the dumpster. Or if they can, at the end of the growth, they don't have to like, you know, treat it as cannabis waste. Some, which I've always thought sort of problematic and I like to, to think about ways to be more sustainable than just once through and into the dumpster um, with media that can be reused like that. But it's interesting thinking about the, the purposing of these roots, because in a lot of states now, they classify the root balls as cannabis waste, which is ridiculous. And the reason they do it is because larger cannabis producers lobby for those rules because it'll make it harder on smaller cannabis producers to comply with the rules. And so they lobby for sort of harder and more restrictive and you need to get licensed for everything and everything needs to be considered cannabis waste and everything because the larger facilities will just pull all the licenses and, and be able to do all that and the smaller facilities won't be able to. Um, but, you know, so I've talked to a lot of growers that they have root balls, they need to find ways to dispose of, of the root balls um sometimes they buy like grinders and they're grinding the root balls and the media up to like render them unusable or something and then like you know soaking them in things or doing other things so but if you can find a market for them if you can repurpose them into a product um they're sort of a, a problematic aspect of waste for a lot of small and mid-sized growers right now in, in certain states that have these that are considering root balls as you know, marijuana waste or cannabis waste. Um, so there's an opportunity. If roots really do something, there's a lot of growers that want to get rid of their roots and want to be able to reprocess their roots or sell them to some other licensed facility that's going to take them off their hands. Um, and maybe that's what's happening. Maybe there's such a need to sort of process this that people are trying to find products to put them into i don't know but there's there's something going on there on the other side of that i just want to raise so yeah hard. i, I want to i want to agree with that r really uh quickly and say that um you know i uh worked with a grower a grower that i think a lot of people in chat know um and uh they they grow organically and a big part of their their cultivation style is to leave the root balls in and then like kind of reseed the beds and, and have that be because they have all kinds of, they have like a little mini ecosystem in the soil and, and, they, and they do this indoors. But regardless of all that, um, they were getting attacked by people and it was absolutely like, it, it was definitely uh, targeted and uh, not really based in like a, like a realistic thing. Like you would never tell a farmer 
like, oh, hey, you know, that material is just like inappropriate. You know, it's, it's considered waste. They use similar terminology and they should get rid of it. Well, yeah. And like, organic, yeah, it's yeah. In the organic case, I've heard that the old roots can sort of be like pathways for the new roots and have establishments with things like mycorrhizal fungi that have been established that make it easier for the new plants growing into those beds to establish things like that. So I'd be interested to see how moving forward they go about sort of regulating this kind of thing. There's a product called Current Culture H2O, which for anybody who's looking like I'm sharing the screen right now, this is an example of one of their deep water culture systems where it's just basically a massive ball of roots. So that's how you get roots. Yeah. If you were trying to make salves and stuff like that, this product would be amazing because look, you're literally getting like five or 10 gallons worth of roots. Well, every single you'd grow. want to like get it tested for God knows all the, the chemicals things. and things that are left behind yeah yeah i would wonder which uh, i'm sure certain roots would be more preferable and even different lines that could be fed with that in mind uh maybe making it more uh downstream having that byproduct as a additional revenue stream or even just like a courtesy medication now they allow in california you can do the uh, compassion programs and stuff so they want to give like veterans or people who just can't afford cannabis cannabis they can do it for free again now so if they were able to make like products for people um and just give them away because it's made from the roots that people weren't buying before and maybe people will get turned on to it be like oh wow this actually really helped me and then maybe it becomes a, a brand that is something people will buy and that's how i think cbd actually kind of came into a pretty strong market most of the early people i saw using it were getting it for free uh, having to be really convinced by like somebody who was a big believer in cbd because a lot of people that look at cannabis want to get the high or the thc association the pain relief the other things that come along with it so cbd is sort of like a it might not be the exact opposite in a lot of ways but from the feeling perspective a lot of people don't get the same feeling as thc so it's uh, interesting that I think with root ball medicine, we might see a similar thing where if we start off by, well, it is a byproduct and waste product and whatever, but if we can get a little bit out of it and show some people like myself, I have really bad arthritis in both hands. I've broken every single finger in both hands multiple times. So I shake, I have pain. Um, it's, it's a serious ailment, an issue for me. And hashish is actually one of the things that helps me the most with the shaking and cannabis with pain. But it's um, something that I think, you know, hopefully we'll see more expanding as we go because I've mentioned this in the past about terpenes, but like the oil industry uses that as like similar byproducts. They're trying to get oil and gas and all these other things, but occasionally when they're purifying it, there are terpenes that they strip off. And instead of just dumping them uh, because it becomes like a biohazard or a waste or a caustic material that they would have to probably take some steps and, and pay to have treated or get rid of, they say, oh, we'll sell this to the perfume industry or to the cannabis industry or whatever industry wants to buy, buy it. And now they have a downstream revenue source that wasn't there before. Uh, as difficult as the cannabis industry has been for so many operators, California, 50% did not renew their licenses this year. So um, as much as we can, getting uh, people either on the small scale or even on the commercial scales, the opportunity to make money where it wasn't otherwise being made could be a good thing. I froze up there and dropped out momentarily, but I'm back. I thought it was me because I was like, oh, God, Doc is freezing. That must be my internet connection is off. But then I was like, wait, Doc, or uh, Spartan's still moving. So I must be okay. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, is it is everybody else stopped or is this just me? Uh, it's probably just <laughs> me. I better just hang out here and see if this reconnects. Yeah, no, that's, uh, sorry about that. That was me. <laughs> I just wanted to take on the end of that, Jack, is I think that 
we're going to see you're going to see it all over the country again no matter what the state of that that legalization is at in each state but even in california where they've had it for so long they're going to go right through another industry consolidation as soon as federal comes because i think that's that's the the monkey in the room that i kind of hear kicking around the the discussions in in the commercial scene is is like when federal legalization hits if it does I'm, i don't know i keep saying when because i i think it's for sure gonna come but uh when that happens i think it's there might be like a little goldilocks you know honeymoon phase but i think eventually it's going to get cutthroat and it's going to be another consolidation and just that may not immediately smaller. change a lot of states. I mean, federal legalization isn't going to make it legal at the national level. It's still going to be up to the states. No, what it's going to do is going to make it legal to transport across state lines. Yeah, the when and the how matters so much. States, yeah. different. And then you when have and farmers in Michigan and the, the yep. cold north farm trying to compete with farmers in California. If the states open their markets. Yeah, right now, shipping a lot of states have restricted yeah. markets for that. That's a good point. It, it depends on how that unfolds and you know what role the place the, the Fed plays in that. But I agree. If they open up the the importation and exportation across state boundaries, I mean, hey, if they open it up across national boundaries, things would really very quickly change. change. Oregon is the sleeping giant. No one wants to discuss. Oregon produces way more cannabis than they can produce consume in their own state, and they Oregon. have a very similar climate to California. Northern California runs right into Oregon. They have a lot of long-time experienced cultivators. They produced way way too much for several years because they gave out way too many licenses. They've had a little bit of their consolidation. A lot of people closed shop. A lot of people shut down because the pound price went basically to nothing. And that has happened here in California. And like Spartan was saying, uh, I think it's a win. And I've kind of I didn't feel like that when I was a kid, which I'm kind of happy to feel like nowadays. I think it is when does it come legal, not if. Um, but when it happens, it's how it happens. Like uh, Doc and others have probably mentioned in the past, but if they shut down import-export, then that really doesn't change so much other than for the people that are in the red states. Uh, the red states then get access. But if they open it up like you know hemp is right now, hemp is in all 50 states. You can ship to Hawaii. You can ship to Alaska or any of the lower 48 and um it's it's legal legal like you know you could send it at the usps and uh you're not going to have to worry about it it's written into the law and we have the hemp farm bill that's what makes seeds essentially legal because they have less than uh 0.3 thc seeds don't contain any thc thankfully for us even if they're high thc varieties unless they were like coated in hash or something but that's <laughs> right. not, not typically the case <laughs> so but it is a but the demand in the market are completely different. You're talking a legit like a thousand to one difference in exactly. hemp versus, I mean, cannabis. I mean, right. So it's well, going to be a the, lot bigger. They're both growing. Happens. I think they're both growing. I think that cannabis was like 10 to 15%, then it was 20%, and it's 30%. Now I'm seeing like 30 or 40% potentially of young adults mm -hmm. that are able to use, might be using more than tobacco or whatever it is, and a, a growing number on both sides. There's, you know, you got your grandmas that are getting into the CBD and the hemp and other things and like that, or even young guys, athletes uh, that get into it because maybe they're an athlete, they don't want to get high, but they want that pain relief, the lowered infl inflammation. Working with so many different populations, you realize that Although THC, I think, really is like the champion that drew a lot of us in and a lot of the other cannabis people in, uh, these other minor cannabinoids, flavonoids, and things like that are keeping them around. The aromatherapy aspect, the uh, you can have a nice dinner with it and like do the wine and weed pairings now and and do infused meals. Like it, it's become a, a huge industry of multiple closet industries of all these 
different little things where so many unexpected groups are now involved and, and loving it and finding their own little passions within this community, which is great. Oregon is slept on. I, I feel similarly. And I, and I like the, I like a lot of the weather up there. And I think that although we have talked previously about how it's the big hops, it's a big hop growing place and maybe hot powdery mildew being there could be a problem. But um, I, I do generally agree with that. Going back to what you're saying about like national scale or international scale trade. And I think Dr. Coco was ready to say something about that. I, I can well, see it on your face. Well, we you dropped out. I thought it. you were like ready with bated breath. I thought you were like waiting. It was. But then you, and I thought I saw winking, but no, I think then you, you dropped out. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you were like yeah. ready. It was building suspense, you know? I mean, yeah. you can't just say it right away. You got to like drop off the internet for a while first and, and build the suspense. No, I'm just saying that there are regions in the world where we can grow cannabis really effectively, where labor is relatively cheap and cannabis is a, a shelf-stable crop that, that travels well. So um, it, it, you know, in any other world, we wouldn't probably grow a lot of cannabis in the United States. We really wouldn't grow a lot of cannabis in indoor facilities in the United States. It, it, I think a lot of that's like here to stay because we've gotten used to it and we've discovered that there are some benefits to doing it that way. And, wow. you know, we like it or whatever. And there's going to be laws that are almost built up to protect that. But I was going to oh, I was going to ask, like, uh, like when you guys mentioned like California and Michigan, if they opened their trade together, the immediate thing to my the, the immediately the immediate thought that came to my mind was, well, what if Michigan has to protect and like put like tariffs or something, you know, or, you know, some something that to make it more viable at home. And then you start talking about very complex stuff that I'm not really learned enough to talk it about. It will happen know there. Some about. Yeah. Hold on. Michigan can't decide. They can't really do to that, right? No, the, the United States regulates interstate commerce. So states can't set, can't negotiate sort of trade agreements with other states. The only thing that they can do well, as a state is they yeah, can I regulate guess. what types of things are allowed to be sold within their state. So that they could say, like, in our state, you know, you can only sell cannabis that was grown in our state. Like, that's how they that's do it. That's actually problematic for a lot of other crops. Like, you wouldn't be able to do, like, we're only going to allow you to buy apples that are grown in our state. Um, but they are letting states sort of, like, write the, the rules that way for cannabis so far. Um, so you might be able to restrict that way by saying, you know, certain things just aren't available. But I do not believe they'll be able to, like, say, you know, set up a tariff or an import tax or anything like no, that. I think if any no, state that's, that's was to do point. it, it would be Michigan, to be honest, because to to look at well, yeah. auto, the auto industry, the big auto is all from Detroit, roughly. And they have done dealership laws and other things that are regional that benefit oh them God. and don't benefit other parts of the country and do things specifically to give themselves power. So people that are in those groups that are involved in cannabis, because I know that there are some, um, they will do whatever they can to lobbying and control power, just like the MCMA was doing in Michigan, the you know Manufacturers Association. They were lobbying against home grow, lobbying against caregiver rights. They're doing things like that to try and protect and lobbying control their own. Imports from Central America, right? I mean, no 
no yeah. cannabis grower in the United States is going to want to open up the international border to to cannabis trade. Breeder Steve's um, waiting to flood us. He's like, I can't wait to start selling, you know, corn <laughs> cob sized buds for like a nickel to the U.S. because he's got hectares in, in Colombia and he's got people oh, yeah. pay way less that are agronomists that know they're measuring each centimeter per day or whatever. They know the number of leaflets. They, they're trained in all this stuff, but they can pay him basically nothing or whatever. And he he's really happy with his crops down there. Everything I've seen looks really good. And, uh, you know, I, I agree with Doc like any other thing. Uh, once it becomes legal, legal, like everywhere, uh, the production goes to places where cost of labor is lower. They have lots of sunlight, uh, the inputs and, and weather and things like that are more conducive. Uh, I do agree though, that some cottage industries will continue to exist here in the U S people will get kind of comfortable with those brands that they like the local indoor and that might exist for a long time or they'll transition to greenhouse or even like little boutique craft outdoors, but it'll be a lot of it. Well, I think there will be an import in, in, in the U.S. Anymore, dude. We're so ahead of the curve. We're so ahead of everywhere else. Hey, that's what the flower growers in California said. But I lived through that stuff. And let me tell you, once the because they were still very skilled people in these areas. That's why I said South America, Africa. They took the flower, the ornamental flower business from California, which was going, which was extremely strong. And that was because they had because there were these huge multinational corporations who got who are going who owned all this land for let's say they bought mineral rights on on land or something, but they didn't want to fucking use it. Right. I saw I I read a huge book and saw some documentaries about how this happened. Right. And so they didn't want to give up their land because, you know, they weren't using it. Government say, hey, if you're not utilizing this, then you, you guys can't lease this land. And so they started. Okay, well, we're going to grow flowers on here so that way we can retain the mineral right and then produce something so that way we're satisfying the requirements for the governmental lease. And, and so I know as a fact that there's huge, huge companies who, who are, you know, holding companies for, you know, uh, resources that are growing flower crops specifically just for that purpose. Yeah, well, Brandon, just like not the ones I'm referring to, which a lot of them were family owned and operated for like decades. Like Drama Nectar, for example, and uh, a couple like of the other big ones. Whoever said America, at least for Gerber and roses and lilies. Yeah, whoever said America's in front, just like everyone from California moved to Oklahoma to grow weed. Everybody from who knows how to grow in Oklahoma will move to Columbia to grow weed because they're going to get paid. Like, oh, it's over. It's 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 the market's flooded. This and that. We can't. Yeah, sell. no, there's never it's enough. Not, guess what? Prices are back up. Things have leveled out. It, it, well, and there's other reasons too, because those regions might have other infrastructural uh, issues proximity. that might make that difficult over and time. And the same guys yeah. who ran from California to Oklahoma are now going to Thailand and will now go to the next hot place that opens up with new laws so. because they think that they're only going to make money during that gold rush phase because that's the easiest time to make the money. The true skilled operators like Brandon will stay in, in Oklahoma because that's where he could get his license. Whether or not there's a thousand or 10,000 other growers, he's going to grow his crop and sell his crop because the best stuff typically sells out regardless yeah. of price and, and things like that See, availability body? it goes yeah i agree with that quality finds market uh, you it know does. it'll be interesting to see how things how things develop but i think a lot of it's going to depend on what laws passed and i think a lot of what laws passed will depend on who's currently making money off of it we already have you know, billionaires with millions of dollars invested in indoor cultivation in specific state-based markets in the United States. 
And I think that they're lobbying heavily to protect their investment in that space, which means that, you know, their style of cultivation is going to have a long-term foothold or presence in that market. Um, and I, I, so much of how this market develops is going to be unlike others because normally, you know, a market develops pretty sort of like from the ground up as something comes in, like the, the market builds, but this has been sort of a, a black market to legal market transition. And we're doing it in this way that's allowed some really deep pockets to start to create, um, you know, entrenched interests in the ways that the laws unfold from now. You know, Brandon's been dealing, or sorry, Spartan's been dealing with that in Michigan, um, fighting against the moneyed interests that are trying to rig the game in their favor and basically... Same out here in Oklahoma. It's all a fucking big game. And the people yeah. who are, yeah. will, will California hire too. Yeah. To so, it. you know, we got, I, I applaud those efforts to make sure that we defend the rights that we have, but be aware that, you know, you know I don't think we're going to move to international importation of cannabis because the, the big uh, money producers in the United States aren't going to want that competition. And they're going to make sure that it doesn't happen. Just uh, Titanic. You know, Canada is feeding Germany already. It's already happening in certain spots for little little amounts, yeah. right? I think Israel might be or vice well, versa, you know? Just an example of the dollars that this could be um, just in Michigan alone, which is a pretty big market. I don't, I don't know. I think we're probably the second or third market, maybe third. <laughs> Last year, $2.3 billion was with the sales in a market that's crashed. With the price, I mean, literally on 420, I saw $40 ounces is what I was mm. seeing. So I want to, uh, I, I want to, oh, sorry. About Brandon's garden no, here. I'm just saying there's plenty of money still to be had. There's still a lot of people consuming cannabis. And I think um, as time marches on, it's going to be more accepted and the market's going to get bigger still, even at these low prices. And I want to tack on one last thing, which is, from that story from before that I worked with these ornamental growers. Well, let's, let's put, speaking of quality, they were getting, they were always uh, at odds with the consultants they got from uh, the Netherlands and they're big on, and that was the biggest thing they would always say is you got to make a better quality flower. Don't chase. They'd always said that don't chase the nickel. And they were dealing with, I think, abject problems in these other countries, but like you got, we have adroitly stated here, uh, quality is still important. And one big difference is ornamentals. You don't eat them. You don't consume them personally, right? In the same way you would cannabis. So it's way more closer to like quality of food rather than quality of something pretty. And yeah, let's look at Brandon's cool backyard. Brandon, if you will, uh, turn your camera to the side and then uh, unmute yourself and you can tell us what we're looking at. Those are chickens. So he's got a gang coming his way, but watch out. Yeah. Chick, 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 chick. We got chickens and some ducks back there, horses back there somewhere. How many uh, chickens do you keep, and and what kind of eggs are you getting per day? Nothing yet. They're all real young. You see the ducks in there? Yep. Couple ducks. Uh, I think there's thirteen chickens. I don't think there's any roosters, but one of them does like to imitate a rooster. <laughs> okay. Um, and no eggs yet. They're still too young. This is Stevie's bed. The color of the egg Stevie's is determined by the ear of the chicken. Or like the little thing by where its ear would be. Oh, this bed is 
So what I did was I planted corn and this is cool because you can see this corn will have multiple ears on it because just usually corn only has one ear, but this will produce a bunch of different ears because this it's in really highly nutritional dense soil. And then what I did was I planted uh, peas in with the corn. So that way you'll see, we'll start doing this right here where they, ah, you know, yes. you know, where they'll climb up. And then the idea is this will get really tall. This will stay shorter and should grow throughout. And then all on the outside. So that's a butternut squash. squash in there too. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I see your, I see you're really, uh, I see you have some, you have to really put up some high uh, defenses there with the with the gate with the grating. Oh, you know what? I just had that. <laughs> it was spacer. extra, and I just put it on there. Uh, we do have deer out here, but they haven't messed with anything yet. You got gophers. Stuff I will, but this is yeah. This is the corn and the peas and the squash bed. Uh, I was gonna do bean, you know, beans, squash, like green beans, corn. yeah. Taos said it earlier. Have, have you done this before? The three sister combination, as it's affectionately yes. known as. Yeah, that'd be the beans. Yeah, I, the only reason I didn't do beans is because I have a sh the whole bed down the whole entire way is all beans on this back row. So you can see I have like what kind of bean? Rare type of beans. I have French beans, beans from Portugal, Spain. I've got regular type of like. Uh, do you have? Hey, what kind of tomatoes are you there? growing? What kind of tomatoes are you growing? Tons of different kinds. Uh, I have to look at all the tags. Here's all the okay. beans. And some of them were later. I had to go back and repot where I missed. And the idea is to create those, I have these little sticks. And I'm going to create a little, a little arch. arch trellis with this stuff for them to grow out of. Oh, um, and cool. we also have some leafy greens that are coming in here that I planted intermittently throughout. I also planted carrots so you can kind of see i think some carrots are popping up and onions there are some onions over here and there's nice. uh, also some cucumbers a lot of different peppers i tried to transplant some um some celery but it didn't work oh it did work look at it, it did grow roots yeah it's taken maybe i'll just stick it back in there and see what happens yes cucumbers a lot of peppers and i have a little pepper thing over here too where there's uh, a ton oh, of like nice. Keep them a bit super, super hot oh, peppers, peppers that I can't possibly eat. But um, what I'm going to do is I'll make hot sauce for the end of the year and I'll have some like obscene hot what sauce. Are they? Like asses of fire or <laughs> ass reaper. I don't know. Yeah. But um, we have a bunch of different types Death Spiral, Tobago, uh, Jinde. There's uh, some Chai Chen. There's uh, some cashmere. There's a shitload of different peppers in here. All super hot. Do you have any like Jalokia, like the ghost peppers? Yeah. There's some, yeah, there's some stuff like that, some hybrids and stuff like that. And then I have loofah in here that I planted. Uh, That's a cool have, plant. Yeah, we, well, we have a bunch of stuff to make soap. Like all the raw ingredients. And then here's my golden zucchinis, which are making zucchinis i got some herbs in here and then i have like sauce tomatoes so i have some san Mar marizanos i have some beef steaks i have some red cherokees i have some big boy hybrids i think i have, I have a bunch i have a mortgage lifter 
and spaghetti squash. I like the spaghetti squash because we eat those a lot. Because what we do is we'll make spaghetti without the noodles and we'll use the the squash. But I'm just waiting for that whole bed to fill in. It'll fill in like this. Then I just come out here and spray. I'll spray some like Bouveria and some Kiaha and stuff like that out here. Um, So far, I just did one fertilization with the Humate. It's looking good. Yeah, there's some big plants in there. Are you ever going to get into like fruit cultivating? Like uh, anything on that end? Or and there might have been some fruit in there, but like another bed or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll probably also like all this area right here. I'm gonna extend it out so the horse can come out here because it the horse that area is all sand. It's like it's pretty sandy everywhere, but at least we have grass out here. So I'll try to get bigger fence and make the paddock bigger for the horse. I'll extend it eventually. What kind of horse did you end up getting? He's in the backyard. I'll show you because my, I have a, my stepdaughter's uh, autistic. You, you've worked with her, Jack. Yeah. I was, we did like a horse course or whatever. We learned a lot about horses and things like that and other things. But uh, she yeah. was talking about getting potentially between one or two different horses. That's why I was curious. I was like, Oh, I wonder which one I ended up going with. So this is awesome to see the, uh, get to actually walk around the property and uh, hearing about this months ago. And actually getting to see a live horse. Here we go. Mr. Red. It looks healthy, dude. That's a beautiful horse. Yeah. That's a yeah. healthy horse. That's yeah, definitely a healthy big, horse. He's a big boy. He's we not overweight, had though. Farrier out. We had a fairy out last week. Did all his nails and stuff. And then we've got some little areas. I don't know why Stevie covered up the duck pond. I would ask her. She's probably got some project going on. Got a reason, yeah. And then just little chicken coops or whatever. That's awesome, man. That seems like a chill horse, dude. It's just hanging. Hanging. Yeah. I I took him outside of the paddock earlier today, this morning when I woke up. I put his uh, harness on, and then I took him out there to just eat grass and chill out and stuff. It's awesome, man. It's uh, amazing knowing where you uh, came from here in San Diego. Uh, just a couple years ago, now having some property and everything like that. It's awesome to see the pup, see the horse, chickens, all the plants. I'm honestly uh, really happy for you, man, and, and proud to see you accomplish a lot of these goals that you set years ago, making them become realities. Five-year plan, I did it in four years, so that was good. You have to set a plan. It's a big part of it. I think if you just write stuff out, it's like the first step in the, in the process, you know? Yeah. Make it become a reality. You, know, you see it, you think about it over and over and over. And if you have it written down, you can look back to it and say, oh, this is what I'm working on. This is what I'm working towards. And, yeah. and keep doing the things that make that happen. Dude, we've got some cool stuff coming on too, uh, online too. I actually have a uh, a lab that I that I built out, which didn't, I didn't actually have to build anything. I just you know bought a bunch of lab equipment. But uh, we're going to be doing mushroom extracts. So we'll be able to do... Uh, you know, just medicinal mushrooms. We'll do tinctures, and then it's very similar to the way like shatter is made. You do lion's mane. Yeah, we'll do lion's mane, cordyceps, reishi, nice. uh, all the big ones. Yes. Yes. Nice. That's an industry that's growing just as fast as cannabis, if not faster. Shit. The both medicinal and even like the you know 
culinary mushrooms with medical benefits are, are growing, I would say, at a pretty rapid clip. It's yeah, getting more yeah. and more accepted. We're going to be doing yeah. like these whole mushroom grow kits because we have um, – I was doing a bunch of research on different substrates, and one of the things that – I don't know if you guys are, are familiar if I've talked about, but the, uh, the, the base of my soil, the compost, is a coffee. It's coffee with a little bit of manure and alfalfa compost, but mostly coffee coffee compost chaff and the uh spent um roastings and you can use the chaff is if you aren't familiar with chaff it's very very fluffy and airy and flaky and it makes for really really good aeration so if you mix it with the spent grounds it makes a really great uh, media for for mushrooms and so we're going to be doing the mushroom media and then like a whole little grow kit where it comes with like grain spawn uh it comes with your or it comes with sterilized grain it comes with your your little injector so you can stay uh inject it into your your grain and um then you can transfer your grain into your bag that kind of stuff it's cool stuff Is, or you can make you could also make a uh your media have that sterilized in a bag where they can just inject straight into it yeah. Well, what we did was I got a, like, there, it's weird because you, I had to get a nursery license, a seed seller's license, a license to sell, like, plants. And so I got all that stuff. And I have at the office an area uh, where we can grow the mushrooms ourselves as well. So it'll be fun. It's exciting for sure. Uh, Spartan, I know this is about the time we typically pass it over to you and let you get your final thoughts and shout outs in before you get heading over to the Michigan Bros Grow Show starting in about 16 minutes. Thanks. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, panel. It's always awesome hanging with you guys. And today was a pretty cool one. And, and uh, I think it reflected in chat because there was, I think, over 100 people at least I saw at least one point. So shout out to chat man it was awesome to have everybody be part of the conversation we kind of drove the conversation today popping things out of chat and uh it was cool to go through those those kind of uh i don't know something that every grower can relate to kind of a thing instead of the cutting edge of things i just feel like sometimes we talk about and it's cool and i like to hear about it and 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 know which way we're heading but sometimes i think we talk about stuff that doesn't really affect a lot of our audiences <laughs> grows because you know they're not really worried about eking out the last ten percent. But it is cool to talk about it. But uh, anyways, I'm going to be running over to the Michigan Bros Grow Show. You can catch me over there in about fifteen minutes. Otherwise, I hope I see you again next week. Growers love everybody and keep growing. Peace out, Spartan. Awesome, Growers you as Spartan. always. Thank you, Spartan. We got Brandon looking at his cannabis garden now, and uh, I will agree with Spartan there. I do like when it's a little bit something more hands-on and tangible for our audience, as much as I also do like the other science. Uh, it's fun to go with the modern stuff and also the stuff that we can kind of all relate to. Like we all set our timers when we go into flower. We all have a certain flowering cycle. These look like some outdoor plants, uh, likely not just brought outside. Brandon, what kind of uh, light cycle are you getting there in Oklahoma? And uh, what, what plants are we looking at? How far along are we? Some autos. I started these like maybe a little bit before, just right around 420. And unfortunately, look, everything was great. I love it. It's got real good color and stuff. Purple. It was just a month ago. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, though, we have a uh, cotton, cotton wood or cotton. 
What oh, is it called? Oh, yeah. You have a cottonwood tree. So all those yeah, little fluffs are getting into those it. Damn fluffs. Yeah. Uh, it rained it rain all this on here. So it, it, uh, I've got like these little pieces of buzz. Shit, uh, little <sighs> fucking cottonwood seeds all up in that's my so, wood. That's so frustrating. Oh, man. Yeah. So I'm not going to smoke these. It sucks because the autoflowers look great. I don't know if you can see. They it. look chunky. They're, they're frosted up. too. That's frosted well, up. They still have probably like five, four or five weeks to go. Oh, of course. But like you know, when I think of what it was last week, you know, I just feel like it's uh, pretty noticeable. Yeah. And then I have my Afghani bull rider over here. Oh, nice. Are you gonna make it into a concentrated? Or are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? With yeah, it? I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Um, I'll cut off all these stuff. I'll freeze it. And then I'll send it off to uh, to Deadheady Eddie, and he'll uh, he'll make some hash with it. It's a nice yeah. name. Well, what he'll make hash with it, and then he'll he'll make solventless RSO out of that. So I'll just turn it into RSO. It'll have to be processed, you know, pretty a few times, just because it's got all that fucking cottonwood shit all over it. I didn't That's realize. Really annoying. And then I have some other ones back there. Some other autoflowers. Those, the, the, those cottonwood uh, terps, you're going to get that entourage effect that you've never had before. You're going to get super. Yeah, there you go. You're just, I mean, if you burned it, I think you would just burn off the, the stuff. It would affect the flavor or whatever. I don't think it's like terminal, but I do understand not wanting to put it on the top shelf. I mean, I wouldn't even smoke it. Yeah. Uh, I just, I got better weed to smoke on. I got, some I, I would, but you know how you smoke most things. So that's just. It smoked. In the day I would have for sure. I was <laughs> that way. My 15-year-old self would have been like, dude, would have fucking been would have been jacked, dude. Would have been so lit up about that, dude. I would have been going crazy. <laughs> I would at least try it and see if it really like bothered the flavor or bothered the experience in any kind of way. Um, but you know, like, yeah. I yeah, it's, it's it's weird how your uh the your uh limits change because I remember uh speaking of like that that uh white paper I had plants outside and I sprinkled some of that shit on them and it got on some nugs and the shit was drying. Remember, I was just giving it away to people because I didn't want to deal with it. I'm like, it's just corn cob or you know whatever. Try and get most of it out, but I don't think it'll kill you. And they were loving it. So, but I didn't. I wasn't gonna have it, you know. <laughs> I did this too. Like this whole part of the yard was all uh just dead dirt and so what i ended up doing is i put a bunch of mulch from the leaves on the property down and then i put some soil and crop cover and i had to rip up that crop cover because if you look really really carefully this whole area this whole area out here has on a one foot center hemp sprouts yeah, on a one-foot center in this whole area back here. The are the auto flowers, right? Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, so. I thought it was like some uh, Spartan had with his uh, build-a-soil, I can't remember what it's called, but they had the hemp whole, seed in one the of their crops. Did you chop down that cotton tree? Or what are you doing about that, Brandon? Or is it done flowers? Or it's spreading its I seeds know. now? I don't know where it's at, dude. I think it might, one of, might be uh, one of the neighbors. Because oh, it's not these over here. Yeah, that shit can travel miles, like, man. I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna chop it down. I was so pissed. Car was laughing at me. She's like, 
there's literally nothing you can do. What are you going to do? Chop down a huge tree? You could, you could get netting for the area. If it was on you your property, netting. you know you would have. I know. Yeah. I would have. I would have cut it down. But you know what I did? Is I went on Amazon and I got that uh, that bug netting stuff. They sell. Yeah. It's in like It comes in like a 10 foot by 50 foot thing. Roll. And so I can cover this whole area right here. And so what I'm going to do is when these are, are all big enough, I'm going to cover them up so I don't that doesn't happen. It's just yeah, it's all right until there's resin on the shit, right? Do you have clover yeah. in your uh, cover crop or crop cover? Yeah, it's it's a uh, clover daikon radish and winter rye. Is um, uh, I've heard clover is like invasive, and and is that problematic at all or anything yeah, to consider? It's it's pretty invasive. A lot of For, clover is. I mean, invasive. There's like all the stuff that's grown out here is just kind of weeds and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, there's not anything that's like. You know, I only asked because I just saw an Instagram post where this lady is like, I'm replacing my lawn with, uh, you know, she did clover one year and she's like, here's what I learned by doing clover. She's like, one, it's, you know, invasive or semi-invasive or whatever, depending on where you're at. Some places regulate it more strictly or whatever. But she examined a few grows, other alternatives. It grows pretty well, man. I mean, like that side, over, that side over there, uh, I haven't done really any maintenance to it and stuff and it's still growing and stuff. Here it was all sporadic. I threw it everywhere, but it just kind of grew in the center there and on the sides. Whatever. I didn't actually see anything. I just tossed it when it was raining. It was raining out here, and I was like, oh, I'm going to throw some seed down on the ground. Yeah, the thing that I was watching, it said most clover is non-native to North America, and it's uh, late to start in some of the more northern areas, so it can lead like muddy patches. So that was part of the issue with their lawn. So it uh, there's a few different not like people examine like wildflowers and other different things because I think grass is uh, not as popular. People are getting tired of the lawns. They're starting to, like yourself, grow more things, which I'm a big advocate of, uh, whether it's cannabis, fruit, vegetables, anything like that. I think is a better use of that space and as much as we can it's a uh, great to get back well, to that connection with nature. Did, i didn't just i planted all the transplants but what i also did is i put down a shitload of food seeds down here so i i planted like a massive amount of carrots chives onions garlic oh, yeah. and then, and then beans, beans and then uh squash as well so i and i literally just threw massive amount out here i didn't sow anything i just fucking threw it down i was like let's see if this works it's always worth a shot man it's uh trial and error especially now that you own the plot you can see what works one season and keep the stuff that works and get rid of the stuff that doesn't work so well and grow more of the stuff that you like and uh eat through and grow less of the stuff that you didn't like i have a question did you um for the tomatoes even if you don't remember it's okay but uh, i know you're doing the arc way and i know it's really popular for people to grow like the toma oh. indeterminate tomatoes and then grow them like a vine is that your plan uh, well i am getting in there and kind of cutting off all the stuff at the really bottom stuff that's hanging on the soil and stuff but i was just gonna i i really was just planning on um putting up a regular trellis like uh like um i would do for weed because the way that i built that bed out in the front it still has room to put trellis on the top posts 
to like build the trellis out. And so I was, I figured horizontal that trellis net or a vertical trellis net. To climb. Uh, it's a, just goes right over it. Just like weed, you know, horizontal. Yeah, okay, so putting the net horizontally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it is about that time. More, more, more support. At least some of them varieties will really benefit more from getting vertical support to hold up the weight. Um, because especially when you're growing big, beefy tomatoes, you know, they start weighing down the plant. So um I've grown a lot of tomatoes before. Yeah, so. yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I'm just I'm more used to growing them vertically like vines climbing through trellises that are hung vertically like that. Not a, a trellis that's horizontal plane, um, just to get the the sort of vine effect. But it definitely depends on what kind of tomato. Yeah, I think we're at that um, point. We've got to start wrapping it up and do the final thoughts and shoutouts. Uh, the one other kind of thing that I was mentioning earlier for a potential drawback of the clover is it leaves you potentially open to like weeds and other things like that. Um, and there are alternatives that they were suggesting were yarrow wild grasses and native meadow annuals just as a reference to that kind of thing that i was talking about earlier but i want to pass it first to brandon rust to give his final thoughts and shout outs before we close it up yep thanks uh for always doing doing the hosting and bringing us all together and making sure everything's organized appreciate it um i'm brandon rust if you guys uh haven't checked out the website we are working on a bunch of new stuff so check it out we're gonna be doing some drops uh the kiaha is back up and and listed again the humate should be maybe another week or so uh for all the new label approval so check that out and uh, i'll see you guys next week thank you brandon and next up we've got dr mj Hey, yeah, I really enjoyed seeing your garden, Brandon. I, I'm very jealous of sort of growing all those plants together and being able to play around outside like that. So Me too. Keep having fun growing your plants, man. I I tip my cap to you. Um, it was a fun show, guys. Fun article to get into. You know, I always like to talk about lighting issues um, and interesting conversations sort of spun off of that. I invite everybody to, to check out my Patreon and visit the, or join us for the Ask Dr. Coco show, which I do every Monday night. Um, check out CocoForCanvas.com. We're running the Spring Autoflower Challenge right now. And we're, our, we're you know, about a month in since uh, we dropped seeds, you know, 420. Um, plants are about to start flowering or autos. I've got two tops done so i got both my autos are, are now little ma manifolds and uh potted them into final containers i'm excited to to get that on so come check out everybody growing in that and uh yeah thanks to jag thanks to the fellow panelists everybody in chat thanks for showing up every week and keeping us on our toes much grower love Totally agree. Another great week. Thankful to the chat, being so engaged, asking great questions, following along and uh, keeping us sharp always. Next up, we've got Matthew Gates. Yeah, I also really enjoyed uh, both like the analysis moving through it. And I do think we had a good energy where uh, while well, you guys were sort of talking about things and gave me some chance to like just go through the figures and some of the people I'm sure were watching could do some of that. And then we kind of went back in. I think that was a really good um, uh, synergy. So. For those who are interested, my name is Matthew Gates, IPM specialist. Again, I have two upcoming workshops I'm really excited about. I'm heading out to Long Island, New York 
for June 3rd, um, an IPM workshop. And if you want to learn more, you can go to uh, pestapalooza.com and you can uh, get a ticket there. You use code GATES, which is my last name, for $20 off as well for the tickets. And there's also one in San Diego on July 29th. Same thing, same code. And if you guys are here, I would love you to uh, check it out here in the community. Great deal. Definitely make sure to check that out. Uh, great information. I've seen Matthew present in person in the past, and he, I know he's just gotten better and better with his experience and time and years doing it. So everybody's in for a treat there, as well as the rest of the content that they'll be checking out. So great stuff. And uh, next, we've got Noah the Groa. Yeah, how's it going, everybody? Uh, I've been uh, just kind of listening along, uh, commented a few times here and there, but I'm actually just working away myself in my grow room. But uh, yeah, I'm Noah the Groa with two E's. You can find me there. And uh, you can find me on the show next week, and I'll see everybody then. Thank you so much, Noah. And uh, I always say better late than never. I apologize for the late introduction. And, uh, you know, Instagram, we'll get everybody's email, so that way I can make sure to get the links out to everybody, whether or not Instagram is live and up or not. Uh, so happy that you made it and happy that you came and checked on the YouTube and we're able to jump in just like Doc there. And a uh, good good idea from Spartan Grown earlier, who uh, was the one who said, hey, just start the show and then we'll shoot the link into the YouTube and then you can just approve the uh, panelists from there. So good stuff all around. I'm really happy we were able to make this happen despite a little bit of technical difficulties there. And last and certainly not least of my amazing panelists this evening, the American one. Jack, again, thanks for hosting. You always do a bang up job and uh takes a lot of pressure off everybody else thanks to everyone on the panel and everyone in chat it's always good chatting it up and going through them papers is always fun and you know dissecting it and see what it's really going on and uh yeah i always love all the, the uh, inputs from everyone so thanks everyone and we'll uh check you next week Looking forward to it. I always do enjoy hosting. I've uh, definitely grown to love it. I didn't start off in this role, but I'm happy to have assumed it since uh, the old host has left us. And I do agree with uh, what everybody kind of said, uh, Matthew and, and Tao and others about just the, the flow of the paper tonight it was kind of fun. We had our chat and dialogue as well as the paper kind of floating in the background. And we kind of saw Matthew highlighting some of it. And then we got to work back towards the more pertinent bits. So I think that we did a pretty good job of going through that thoroughly uh, without taking you know too much time at any one particular spot or another. So uh, I think we're getting a, a good flow of how to break these things down. And I'm very happy with how tonight went. I'm at Jack Greenstock, your host most weeks. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Jack underscore Greenstock as well on Twitter. If you want to email me, jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com. And if you're looking for a copy of my book, 50 Strains of Green, you can find it on 50strains.com. And I'm also selling Velvet Punch F3 seeds there for anybody in the United States who's looking to grow them, uh, 50strains.com. Thank you all so much. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Peace and love.